So this is our last message in our current series in which we've been looking at our cultural values together as a church community. So what do we mean by that? Well, we mean who do we want to be? What do we want the character of our community to be like? You know, if someone visited our church community or perhaps spent a few weeks with us, uh, what would they say are the things that we value, the things we care about and how we behave? And so in this series, we've been exploring six key areas which we feel God is leading us, in, leading us to sow into. They're not the only values we have, but they are six key areas that we feel God is bringing to the fore and wanting us to invest in and focus on together. And I know this series has been a bit spread out. We started before the summer, and we've had a number of messages intertwined in this series. But can we, between us, uh, name these six cultural values that we've been looking at? Okay. Come on. Well, yeah, he's got, the, he's got the bookmark. No, look at the bookmark from memory. Welcoming, yes. Prophetic. Yeah, you should get that one, Nancy. Diverse, brilliant. Caring. Caring. Uh, apostolic, yep. Yeah. And I think I'll make, I'll make one more to go. Gracious. Thank you. Well done. Uh, yes, we want to be a diverse community. We want to be an apostolic community. We want to be a caring community. We want to be welcoming. We want to be prophetic, and we want to be a gracious community. And we recognize that delivering six preachers, one in each of these areas, doesn't make us diverse, it doesn't make us caring, it doesn't make us welcoming. You know, it takes the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, and us being willing to embrace the kind of culture we are talking about. And it also takes practice. I once heard a Christian speaker, I I think it may have been Philip Yancey, say something to the effect of, if we pray for patience, do you think God just gives us patience? Or do you think he gives us the opportunities to practice and grow in patience? And I think there's something in that. I'm not saying God couldn't do that, but I think actually he gives us the opportunities to practice and grow in it. Perhaps even in the naming of these values, there will be something that God shifts That means we as a community will be given opportunities to express and practice the culture and values that we're talking about as a church community. And so this afternoon we are focusing on our final value, being a gracious community. And look, I had all this plan, look, I'm like, oh, where we go? Push on one. Look, I don't even got that and I missed it, didn't I? There we go, there they are. Okay, yeah, being a gracious community. So, an important caveat, ever since offering or agreeing to take this message on, I've regularly felt a sense of inadequacy to speak on this subject. There have been a number of times uh, where I've just not extended grace in the way I really should have done, uh, and I've had that opportunity. And this little voice pops into your head, doesn't it? And it kind of says, are you really the one that should be talking about grace? (laughs) So bear with me. And know, therefore that I'm delivering this message as much to myself as to anyone else. You can picture me sat in this seat, if you like. And if you just, if, if nothing else, I mean, hopefully some of you will at least join in and kind of, you know, hear this message. But if nothing else, just have fun observing me preach to myself. Um, so, yeah, there we go. And be gracious with me, please. <laughs> All right. 
Okay. A story. Meet Marie Roberts. On the morning of October 2nd, 2006, Marie's husband, Charles Robert, killed five young children and injured several more in a classroom at West Nickel Mines Amish School. As the police stormed the building, Charles took his own life, leaving behind his wife, Marie, and their three young children. Meet the Amish community, or at least representatives of the Amish community, for whom life changed dramatically and tragically on that day in October 2006. Some of them were parents who had lost their children. Others were family members, and still others, members of that close Amish community. What makes this community quite astonishing is their response to this tragedy. Not only did they decide to forgive Charles Robert, the killer, immediately after the event, an act which many of us might find difficult to do in days, weeks, months, years, or even a lifetime. But they also visited Marie, the shooter's widow. They cared for her children and supported them in their need. They even attended the funeral of Charles and stood in front of the cameras to protect the privacy of Marie and her children. And if that didn't seem enough, or even more than we can fathom, they made a financial donation to help Marie care and provide for her family. Mind-blowing. Scandalous. Miraculous. Astonishing grace from this Amish community. And the truth is, many of us will never find ourselves in a position like that, where we will need to choose whether to extend grace in such challenging circumstances. For many of us, it's a colleague who misses a deadline, a friend who lets us down, or a family member who doesn't load the dishwasher in the way that you'd like. Not many of us will have to extend grace like the Amish community choose to do or chose to do. And although the Amish community choose to live a life more, more extreme way of life, they're a form of Christianity, and they draw their inspiration and no doubt the amazing grace that we have just heard about from the Bible. So what does the Bible have to say about grace? As it turns out, quite a lot. In the Bible, and specifically in the New Testament, the English word grace is frequently translated from the Greek word charis. It's most often used by the Apostle Paul, and it carries the basic meaning or sense of favor. And when God or Christ is the subject acting towards humanity, it is undeserved favor. So it's favor, an undeserved favor. We see the grace of God, this sense of undeserved favor being poured out on the people of God and individuals right through the biblical story. From Genesis to Revelation, from page one to the final page. From the Garden of Eden, where God comes looking for the man and woman who have just sinned. For the people of God who, have, who are oppressed and held in Egypt, 
God sees their misery and comes to rescue them. The story of King David, described as one after God's own heart. And yet, he lusts, he covers, he fornicates, he lies, he gets another man drunk. Then, he tries to cover it up by murdering the woman's husband. Have you ever met a man so sinful? He breaks half the Ten Commandments, yet God forgives him in his grace. And in the New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read of tax collectors, adulterers, prostitutes, fishermen, all encountering the grace and the welcome and love of Jesus. Whether it was an invitation to follow him or the sharing of a meal around the table, Jesus offered grace to those who were undeserving. Before anything else, Jesus acts in grace and love. The disciple Peter denies Jesus three times, yet God uses him powerfully in the establishing of the early Christian communities. To use a quote by Eugene Peterson that I've used before, but I'm going to unashamedly use again. One of the wonderful things to me about the Bible is that there really are no heroes. It's all full of people like us doing stupid things and they're still in the story. Nobody gets ejected. Powerful. They're in the story and we're in the story. We're part of the story because of God's grace. And those are just a few examples of many we could refer to from the Bible. This afternoon, I'd like to delve just a little bit deeper into two significant stories of God's grace. There once was a man named Paul, whose Jewish name was Saul. We are first introduced Paul in the book of Acts in the New Testament of the Bible. Paul was zealous for God, yet his zeal was misguided. He pursued, he threatened, he persecuted, he beat, he imprisoned, he tortured, and murdered followers of Jesus. If there was anyone you thought might be beyond the grace and forgiveness of God, you'd say he'd certainly be a contender. And yet, as Paul traveled on his way to Damascus, the grace of God through the person of Jesus breaks in, confronts Paul's way of life, and transforms him. In the words of British rapper, singer, and songwriter Stormzy, Paul was blinded by your grace, by God's grace. He was literally blinded by the grace of God and taken to Damascus, where a reluctant man named Ananias travels to see Paul. Can you imagine that? If you're Ananias, God says, will you go and see? He does, doesn't he? Ananias lays his hands on Paul. Something like scales fell from his eyes. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he can see again. Paul is baptized spends several days with the disciples, and then we are told he goes on to immediately begin preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. How powerful is that story? Persecuting one minute, preaching the next. What a story of God's grace, his undeserved favor. And Paul knew he was a recipient of God's undeserved favor. 
his grace. In his letter to the churches in Galatia, Paul writes this in chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This story should show us what lengths and what depths the grace of God goes to. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. If you want to read more about that story, you can find it in Acts chapter 9. Second story, and quite appropriate, Andy's kind of mentioned it already, passing, is the return of the prodigal son, otherwise known as the parable of the lost son. So there's a story in the Bible that Jesus told, which I think demonstrates grace in, in, this, in a powerful way. And Jesus told parables, many stories, in order to teach and point to a deeper truth, in order that ones list, the ones listening to the story might change their behavior. And this is the parable I want to share with us uh, from the Gospel of Luke this afternoon. So let's see. Okay. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, after all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, 
You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a powerful story. This is, of course, a story of what was once lost being found. But it's very much also a story about grace. The truth is, uh, we're all like the younger brother in this story. At some point in our lives, we have all rejected the life God the Father has for us and have chosen to do things our own way. We've chosen our own path. And those of us in this room who acknowledge Jesus our Lord have in some way come to our senses, to use the term from the parable. And as a result, we have counted, encountered the grace of God. It may be insignificant in this story, but I'm struck that while the son was still a long way off reaching home, the father sees him and is filled with compassion. He runs to his son and throws his arms around him. And this is even before the son has had an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. The grace of the Father, the grace of God, is certainly undeserved favor. This parable assures us that you can be safe in the knowledge that if you turn back to God, he will run to meet you in his grace and arms wide open. We are all like the younger brother and either have been and continue to be or we can be recipients of God's generous grace. My guess is, though, we also have a bit of a darker side. (laughs) I'm pretty certain that many of us can relate to the emotions of the older sibling. (laughs) We, (laughs) well done. (laughs) We feel a strong sense of justice, of morals, and of fairness. The younger brother has shown no concern for the father or the family. He has selfishly taken his inheritance and disappeared. He's made his choice, and now he needs to live with the consequences, we say. He's blown his inheritance, and now he's coming back for more. Surely the father won't have anything to do with him, will he? Well, not only does the father forgive the son, but he puts him in the best robe. He puts a ring on his finger, and he throws a party for him. Grace undeserved grace. Maybe even scandalous grace if you're the older brother. And then, of course, in this story, we also have the gracious father, the giver of such undeserved favor. And the father in this story that Jesus tells represents the God we worship here today, full of immeasurable grace and compassion. Who can you relate with in this story? I expect maybe not just one of them, but maybe all. The younger brother in this story represents those far from God to whom the Father, being God, will run with open arms and welcome in by his grace when they choose to come looking for God. The older brother represents the religious, those who faithfully worship God. The challenges for the older brother, 
who instead of offering grace like his father, is unforgiving and lacking in grace towards uh, a repentant sibling. May we, the religious who call ourselves followers of Jesus, not be like the older brother, lacking in grace, but may we run and embrace those looking for God. So what might it look like for us to be a gracious community? That's what we're talking about after all. Well, there are and will be all sorts of situations where we have the opportunity to exercise grace. It's likely to be a regular daily occurrence for many of us. And it's not easy to extend grace, is it, or favor, especially when it comes to extending the gift of undeserved favor or grace. However, if we're a follower of Jesus, then grace we must offer. It's not an optional extra for the follower of Jesus. Is there grace for when we miss the mark and fail to offer grace ourselves? Of course. But the follower of Jesus lays down his, their life, lays aside their own pride, and offers grace. This undeserved favor at the hardest of times. As I said, it's very rarely easy to do. And offering grace doesn't always resolve conflict on its own. But what it does do is that it creates the environment an opportunity for forgiveness, healing, restoration, and unity. So turning to what it might look like then for us together to be a gracious community. By way of giving some examples, I want to turn to a question that we as a church community and leadership have been asking over the past few months. That being, where do we see the Spirit of God at work? Now, of course, again, the Spirit of God is at work in many different ways and in many different things. But there are some areas that keep occurring, reoccurring when we ask that question. And in relation to those, then, how might grace need to be expressed? So one area we see the Spirit of God working in is amongst the international community and the connections and relationships we are building with people from different nations and cultural backgrounds. You know, we want to be a diverse community. It's God's vision for his church and this church. Extending grace to our brothers and sisters from different cultural backgrounds who do things in a different way to our own way of doing things is essential. There is not necessarily a right or a wrong. There is just difference. And we celebrate and extend grace and favor in our difference. We may find we need to extend favor when communication challenges exist between our brothers and sisters of different nationalities, where there is a language barrier, for example. Maybe our Cantonese or Arabic isn't quite up to scratch. But let's have grace for one another. And what I would say is it's not about us extending grace until everyone learns our British or Western way of doing church. It's about extending favor as we learn how we worship and fellowship together and how we embrace our different cultures and expressions of worship as a diverse community of Jesus followers. I love it when Miriam prays in, in Portuguese and, <laughs> and when Kathy prayed in is it Cantonese, I think it is, you know, last week. Um, I, I have no idea what they were praying, <laughs> but I love it. And uh, when we can express favor in receiving difference 
it sows to our diversity and unity together as a community. Another area we see the Spirit of God at work in is with our children and youth. Isn't it exciting and encouraging to see all that God is doing with them? That's great. (laughs) I remember growing up in the church as a young person, but being given opportunities to have a go and participate in things at church or in a small group as I got older. The church had grace uh, for my inexperience and enthusiasm. Some of you will know that and remember that. And it felt like a safe place to have a go. I remember John Coombs speaking uh, in East many years ago, encouraging the church to have the culture of allowing mistakes and failure without fear of judgment or or being rejected. It was about creating a safe and gracious environment. Can we do the same for our young people and even each other? And not only with an experience. Our young people will likely see the world differently to us. They may want to express their faith differently and have different priorities. Whether they are right or wrong, can we learn to extend grace and favor to our young people? Our collective worship times is another area where we see the Spirit of God at work. Now, if I looked at any one of your CD collections, and now let's face it, we are of that generation. We may have learned to use kind of digital playlists, but we've all got CD collections, I'm sure, or most of us anyway. I do. <laughs> we would, if we looked at them, we'd all have our different preferences, wouldn't we? And so when we come to collective worship, some of us may prefer one style over another. Some may even prefer a more creative approach to worship, something other than singing songs. It's important to be a community who express the creativity of God in worship times together. May we be a fellowship of believers who express grace and favor for other people's gifts and preferences and embrace creativity and difference. There are just two more areas I want to share as examples. Let's have grace for one another when we think differently about things, including when it comes to our theology, our beliefs, uh, our thoughts about God, and also our practices. Differences in theology, uh, sorry, differences in theology and beliefs can and have far too easily divided churches and communities. For sure, it is important that we believe and uh, sorry in what we believe and have good convictions. It's also true to say we, human beings, have a tendency to get things wrong or to change our minds. May we be graceful towards one another and learn to engage in healthy and non-judgmental dialogue and be full of grace. We want people in this community to feel safe to express when they find something in the Bible challenging. Maybe they're having a crisis of faith and don't know what to believe. Or perhaps when they find a way of thinking or a belief difficult to maintain. We want this church to have a safe and gracious culture as we learn and grow together in the things of God. And finally, perhaps a more general example. In addition to the areas already discussed, 
The work of the church is to serve God in bringing about the kingdom of God to every person and sphere of life that we encounter and inhabit. We know full well that people who do not associate with the church, and even some who do, choose to live their lives differently to perhaps what we may believe is God's best for them. They may have different priorities. They may make different life choices or live different lifestyles. First and foremost, I believe it is our job to offer grace and favor, not judgment or condemnation. It is our job to love. To be clear, just because we extend grace doesn't mean we endorse behaviors or practices which we may believe aren't in line with God's best. Of course it doesn't. The Amish community weren't endorsing the act of killing. Jesus extending grace to Paul wasn't endorsing his persecution and killing of Christians. And so we may not agree with someone's chosen lifestyle or someone's theology, but we can and should show grace. Yes, grace and God's grace is scandalous. It's messy. It's dirty work. It may well mean we are misunderstood. It may well mean we are judged by others. How on earth could you accept them? But grace produces life. It creates a landscape and environment where the fruit of grace brings transformation, forgiveness, and unity. Grace is redemptive and restorative. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, here is what grace can do. The man, Paul, who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. The man, that's Paul, who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. That is the power of grace. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Grace is a characteristic of God. It is who he is. So may it be a characteristic of our community together. May we, Hub Community Church, be recognized for our grace and our love. There is no magic pill that we can take to make us more gracious. There are stories of grace to inspire, not least, and perhaps most importantly, stories in the Bible. And there is the Spirit of God who can empower us to live graciously if we ask and allow him to do his work in us. Amen. Amen.